So good to be together this morning. And uh, as Gabe already mentioned, we just had an amazing time last week celebrating uh, together as a church family. And we got a picture of that just in case you missed it. Uh, you can watch that online and hear all uh, 21 of the 28 uh, that were baptized. There's testimonies there so you can hear that. God is doing so many good things. Uh, prayer, we ended our prayer series last weekend. We wrapped that up about prayer around here. It's the heart of what we do. It's the heart of our relationship with God. Timothy, uh, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, Paul says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. God's heart is that we would be intercessors, praying for others. And a, um, a bit of a tradition that we've had around here for many years is that during this season, when many people around the world participate in Ramadan, that we take time and we stop and pre we pray God's blessing and help and revelation for them. And so if you would like to be part of praying, for the Muslim world during this season, you can pick up a resource out at the info kiosk. Um, you can also find that online. And uh, if you would like, you could gather next weekend, right after this service, for a luncheon where we'll pray as well. You can register for that online, and we'd appreciate that so that we know how many people are coming. If you want to learn more about prayer, there's a four-week course that's going to be starting this Thursday night. It's called The Prayer Practice, and it flows right out of our last series. You can find that in the group section on our website. Guys, guys, there's something being planned for you. For the first time in a long time, we're going to have a men's retreat, and that's going to be held at Camp Nakaman. Um, I hear it's filling up quickly, so you might want to think about that and get registered. Um, it's a great time, at least so I've heard, um, <laughs> together. So look into that. All right, we're going to dive into what we're going to focus on this weekend. When someone is asked, how are you doing? I'm always kind of curious when the answer comes back, oh, you know, same old, same old. Like, I know that sometimes that can just simply mean, um, you know, there's nothing new to report. But sometimes in that answer, I also hear maybe a little bit of boredom, maybe a little bit of hamster wheelishness. Um, I get it. Life sometimes is a grind. Sometimes it feels a bit like Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> and sometimes our faith... Uh, the Bible, prayer, all of those things, sometimes they can come at times to feel like, ah, same old, same old. But what we're going to hear from Scripture this morning is a story where the predictable is interrupted in a shocking way. And through it, I really believe that whether you're somebody who has already embraced faith or someone that is investigating it, I believe that God has something for you this morning. 
Before we jump into the story, let me just give a little bit of context. Like Gabe said, we're four weeks out from Easter, and today our prayer is that over the next four weeks, starting today, we'll really prepare our hearts for this most important event on the Christian calendar. Um, We're going to journey with Jesus and his disciple through several of the monumental moments right before his crucifixion and resurrection. And we're going to do it looking in the Gospel of Mark. Just at the front end here, too, we want to give some credit. Um, The teaching team is really indebted to some work uh, by Tim Keller that he did on a a book on the Gospel of Mark, uh, and that book is called Jesus the King. Great book. So who was Mark? Most scholars and biblical historians agree that Mark, the author of this book, this Gospel, was a close companion of Peter, one of the 12 disciples and that he scribed Peter's eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. If you go through the book of Mark, you'll see that none of that action happens without Peter being present there. And action actually is a really good word for this particular gospel. It's far from a dry history. Mark is actually the shortest of the four gospels, and it has this sense of urgency in it. You often hear words like immediately, And it was written in the present tense, showing us this Jesus who spoke and acted and who is today as well, speaking and acting. Mark is divided into two parts. In the first half, chapters 1 to 8, in this same breathless fashion, we systematically see Mark unpack the identity of Jesus, this long-awaited king. And then in the second half, in chapters 9 to 16, he shows us the purpose of King Jesus' death. Today, we're going to be in chapter 14. Jesus is here in his final moments before his crucifixion in the final days. He and his disciples, they are in Jerusalem, and they're preparing to have something called the Passover meal together. Let's jump in with them. Mark 14, verses 12 to 16 is where we'll start. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already ready, set, already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So we see Jesus and his disciples getting ready for this traditional meal. For the disciples, celebrating the Passover meal may have been a little bit of same old, same old. See, they celebrated this every year since they were small boys. And 
This year, though, I'm thinking it might have been especially a little bit feeling like, oh, same old, same old, because the disciples had something else on their minds. They were thinking that probably any moment now, this hope, this great hope that they had that Jesus the king was going to come and was going to set up his kingdom, that he would make a move and that it would really begin to happen right before their eyes, that he would deliver them from the current brutal reality that they were all experiencing under Roman oppression and that instead he would set up this kingdom just days before the crowds had gathered and Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey and palm branches had been waving and people had been shouting, Hail, the King of the Jews. Tension was building. Jesus and the religious leaders were butting heads a lot as Jesus talked about his kingdom. Surely, the disciples thought, surely Jesus would make his move soon. The mood in Jerusalem was electric, and the disciples were excited about the future. But Passover, Passover was mostly about looking back. It was, and still is for many Jews today, an annual feast that commemorated a defining moment in the history of Israel. Let me explain just a little bit of it. There's lots, but let me, let me give a shot here. More than a millennium before the time of Jesus, the Israelites had been enslaved to Egypt's pharaoh. They were trapped in miserable bondage, often brutal, brutally treated as slaves. What was eaten at the Passover meal told the story of God's incredible deliverance and rescue of his people. The bread, the cup, the drink, all of it, the lamb, everything had significance at the meal. What would happen is there'd be a presider, a host, generally the head of the family. This was a family meal. And that person would explain the feast's meaning as everyone ate, keeping the story alive through the generations. At four points during the meal, the presider would raise a glass and would remind them of four promises that God had made while they were still in captivity. And these are all recorded in Exodus chapter 6. God promised that he would rescue them. And that he, through this rescue, would bring them freedom from slavery. He promised that he would redeem them. And lastly, that they would have a renewed relationship with their God. So this cup, this cup reminded them that God had kept all of his promises. The lamb that was served reminded them how the rescue had happened. That after sending many plagues to Egypt to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go, God sent one final plague of death that would fall on every household, taking the eldest son. And the only way, the only way for your family to escape was to put your trust in God's instruction. And that instruction was that a lamb had to die and its blood be put on the doorposts of your house. 
The lamb was to be a substitute. If your family took shelter under the blood, then the angel of death would pass over your home and the eldest son would be spared. This final plague did convince the Pharaoh that he was no match for God, and this is how God delivered the Israelites and led them into freedom. As the bread was eaten, they remembered that in the wilderness, on the way to the promised land, God had miraculously provided manna for them. When they were starving, he provided nourishment for them. And often this meal, the Passover meal, ended with this traditional Jewish toast. This year in Jerusalem, the next in the kingdom. And it's the hope of this new kingdom that's on the minds of the disciples as they begin this Passover meal. Now let's go back to the text and see what happens when Jesus is the host, the presider, over this Passover meal. See, Jesus has been telling his disciples of his coming death, and they haven't been getting it. So he doesn't give his followers another sermon or lecture or theory of atonement right here on the eve of his crucifixion. He gives them a meal. He gives them this meal but he completely reframes it. We're going to pick up the story again in Mark 14 and starting at verse 22. So as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. What? What? Wait a minute. Isn't the bread so supposed to be about a story that happened a long time ago where some people were starving in a desert and God provided manna? What is he talking about that the bread is his body? He goes on, he goes on. Listen, listen in verse 23. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant, the promises between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many I tell you the truth, I will not drink it again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is mind-blowing for the disciples. Jesus takes this incredibly familiar story and he turns it all around. He suddenly makes it not about something long ago, but about him. He's talking about his impending death and about all that is going to be accomplished through it. All of a sudden, this is not same old, same old. 
This is something brand new that God is doing. But the disciples aren't going to understand until afterwards the incredible seismic shift that Jesus has just announced. See, this story, this feast, it was about a past deliverance from one plague. But now it is becoming a story of deliverance from everything that plagues the human race right down to our very last enemy, death. Jesus is going to conquer death completely. See, this story, it was about one group being freed from slavery and from bondage, but now this new story, it's about everyone being offered freedom through forgiveness, freedom from everything that holds us in bondage. See, Jesus isn't going to confront the power of Rome. He is going to confront the power that is behind every kind of hatred and oppression and tyranny and bullying and division, everything that keeps us from living the way he dreams, living in life-giving, loving community with him and with each other. See, this story, this story was about bread that was provided in a desert. But this brand new story is about Jesus providing himself, himself, as the answer to every hunger that plagues the human soul. Jesus is talking about something completely new. But did you notice that a major element of the Passover meal was missing? Jesus didn't talk about the lamb. The lamb was central. It was the central element to the whole meal. It was the means of deliverance in the story. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost had sheltered them from death. And at the time, this omission would have been really confusing to the disciples. But later, they would remember how Jesus had been introduced by his cousin, John, uh, just about three years before this, when Jesus came and John baptized him, this is how he introduced Jesus to the people. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the reason there was no lamb on the table is because the lamb was at the table the Lamb of God that was prophesied so many years before, who would be coming, who would be coming to do this rescue. Isaiah 53 says it this way, and the disciples are about to see this prophecy fulfilled right before their eyes. Verses 6 and 7, all we, all of us, <laughs> All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. 
yet the Lord laid on him the sin of all of us. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus knew he was going to die as the Passover lamb. He knew that his body was going to be brutally broken and his blood was going to be shed and that it was through that that he would bring healing and forgiveness to the whole world and that his resurrection would usher in the beginning of this new creation, the beginning of his kingdom rule. Some years later, the Apostle Paul would say it this way in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, this king is about to do the rescue of all rescues that will set in motion the kingdom the disciples were longing for, but in a completely unexpected way. Not through the power this world was so used to then and is still so used to today. Not through the power of violent confrontation, but through the ultimate power, the unstoppable power of his self-sacrificing love. The sinless, the sinless lamb of God is going to be slain, taking upon himself all of the evil, all of the sin of this world. All of my sin. All of your sin. And if we take shelter, if we take shelter under his blood, he does rescue us. He does rescue us from death. And he leads us on the rugged journey to the promised land. See, Jesus changed the script for this meal. And now he has given it to us. He's given it to us as a celebration. A celebration that has been celebrated down through the years by millions of Christians around the globe. We now often call it the Lord's Supper. And he told us to do this in remembrance of him. What he did for us on the cross. He told us to do it thinking about what he is doing right now in our midst. And he told us to do it because of the great hope that he has given us. That one day he will come and completely rule and reign in his kingdom of peace and life here. And the Lord's Supper gives us this hope of his coming reign. And it describes a supper, a feast that will happen one day when Jesus returns that is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
there's an ancient text in Isaiah that talks about this incredible feast that's going to happen one day. Um, and uh, it says it this way in Isaiah 25. Listen about this feast. I'm going to read from the message. But here on this mountain, often in scripture, a mountain was literally or figuratively where people would meet with God. Here on this mountain, God of angel armies will throw a feast for all the people of the world, a feast of the finest foods, a feast with vintage wine, a feast of seven courses, a feast lavish with gourmet desserts. Here on this mountain, God will banish all the pal of uh, all the pale of doom hanging over all peoples the shadow of doom darkening all nations yes he will banish death forever and god will wipe the tears from every face he will remove every sign of disgrace from his people wherever they are yes God says so. And everyone is invited to this feast. Everyone. This feast is wide open. And today, today as we come to the Lord's Supper, each of us in the room, we come with our own story. We come with all the things that are right now making up your rugged journey on the way to the promised land. And so we come together knowing that Jesus himself longs to be our host in this meal. And he comes to us in these moments. And we want to just ask that in a unique way, he will meet each of us right now. I'm going to invite the servers to, to take their places. And if you're a follower of Jesus today who has received his forgiveness, you're so welcome to participate. You're welcome to watch if you rather. Um, maybe for you, you've been thinking about this. And actually, your participation today could be your kind of mark in the sand saying, I am choosing to follow Jesus. So we're going to get up in just a second here and receive the elements. Um, if you need help, can you just uh, let someone around you know and someone will be glad to uh, help you uh, to get the elements. And then we're just going to hang on and wait uh, and eat together in just a minute. But here's the question I want you to think about as you wait and as you hold the elements. If you're really honest with yourself right now, today, in this moment, what is the hunger in your soul today? What is the hunger? What is that place of need for you? Okay. Let's come and receive.
let's take that uh, top layer and get out um, get out the piece of bread and if if you're at home uh, grab a cracker or bread or whatever you have uh, there uh, we want you to fully participate and so holding this piece of bread in your hand right now I want you to think again what is it what is it that your soul is hungry for today listen again to the words that Jesus said to his disciples at this meal as they were eating Jesus took some bread and blessed it and broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying take it take it for this is my body this represents all that Jesus is and the only way for a feast to help you with your hunger is if you take it in if you allow Jesus in to the places of your deepest hunger Jesus thank you thank you that your body was broken thank you that you now are to us the bread of life we take and receive your presence and your help and your nourishment together amen as I said this uh, this is a family meal um, it was way back when it was Passover and it certainly is now it's the family of God coming together it's sometimes called communion meaning the common union that we have in Jesus as forgiven people as brothers and sisters who are learning <laughs> Who are learning I'm learning how to live together as forgiven people remember the verse we read he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins it's through his blood that we have been set free and the scripture tells us to forgive each other in the same way that we have been forgiven see this is what opens the door to relationship to relationship with God and to relationship with each other and isn't that truly at the end of the day what we are all so deeply hungry for aren't we all so deeply longing to know that we are unconditionally loved that we are accepted that we are connected this is what Jesus provides us a path to to live in the beauty of life-giving community with him and with each other let's pray together Jesus 
words are not sufficient to say thank you. Thank you for providing this way for us. Thank you for being the sacrificial lamb. Thank you for forgiving us as your blood was poured out. We drink together as a family, as a very, very grateful community. We pray in your name. So just one last thing, one last thing before we go today. Until he returns, this feast also reminds us that every one of our lives, no matter what season we are in right now, every one of our lives has great purpose. See, there are many people that do not know how their hunger can be met. There is a world around us that is dying for unconditional love, for acceptance, for peace, for hope. And we are called to be those who bring this hope, who live this hope for the world around us. And there was no way I could end this service without bringing to you a poem that has become incredible meaning, incredibly meaningful to our family. And I pray that it will be to our family as well today. Let me end with this poem written by Jan Richardson. It was written for World Communion Day. It's called, And the Table Will Be Wide. And the table will be wide and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive, and we will come as children who trust there is enough, and we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame. And we will turn towards each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing. And everywhere will be the feast. Amen. Amen. Church family, if you need prayer today, I encourage you. Please don't, don't take your burdens home alone. There's going to be some people with lanyards down at the front who would love to pray with you. You can pray near some, someone near you as well. We love to do that for each other. And so now as you go into this week to be the feast for others, 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his peace. Amen.